The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So good morning, everyone. And I would like to uh, continue the series of three talks that I started a few weeks ago on the three characteristics. And I've given a talk on the first two, which is the characteristic of impermanence and suffering. And the third characteristic is the characteristic of a not-self. And uh, they're called characteristics because in one way or the other, they characterize any human experience that we can have. There's some quality of these things that are there. And, um, and without understanding this aspect of our experience of life, uh, we're certainly going to run into uh, frustration, disappointment, um, into a variety of challenges. And it's possible to live much more harmoniously with our life if we have some insight into how things are impermanent, suffering, and not-self. In this wonderful way in which Westerners kind of reframe Buddhist teachings, these three uh, have been reframed, or kind of colloquially, as uh, things change, it hurts, but don't take it personally. (laughs) And these three characteristics uh, can be difficult to understand, and they're kind of, in some ways, probably inappropriate to really be introduced kind of cold to them. And that's particularly true for the one we're going to talk about today, which is the insight into not-self. The... um, it can be confusing, it can kind of be not so logical for the way most people think about themselves to be told that you don't exist. <laughs> and uh, it just doesn't compute so well. And it also lends itself to uh, a lot of philosophy, philosophical thinking and quandaries about what is the self and the true self and all that. And it's not meant to be a philosophy and it's not really meant to undermine uh, a healthy sense of self. Uh, it's, supposed, it's meant to be liberating. It's meant to be free us in a certain way to have this insight. And so each of these are meant to be insights, insight into uh, impermanence, the insight into uh, suffering, and the insight into not-self. So they're insights. So they're not philosophies, they're not beliefs, they're not creeds. You don't have to go believe them. <laughs> you don't have to believe that things are impermanent. Um, you know, it's not, they're meant to be something we see. That's what insight means. So really have a kind of a first-hand experience of and relationship to. And, um, and uh, it's probably also helpful to appreciate that the overall context for these, developing these insights and understanding them is compassion and love. That somehow there's compassionate care about our welfare, our well-being, that's built into this whole endeavor of the Buddha Dharma, Buddhist practice. And in that endeavor of care and compassion, there's something about developing the ability to see these particular things, which is very supportive for our well-being and uh, for the well-being of others as, a, as well. The, um, and also, uh, when people, are, when you're we're ta- taught these three characteristics kind of up front, 
uh, we don't appreciate the wider context, the other context in which they exist. And the wider context I like to refer to as the preparation for the insight, the insight itself, the liberation that comes with the insight, and then the gift that comes with liberation. So the preparation, the insight, the liberation, and the gift. And I think it's helpful to understand all those together. So with the preparation for for each of these three characteristics, uh, uh, we can understand that uh, we want to prepare ourselves by cultivating the opposite. So for for impermanence, the opposite of impermanence is, I like to call stability, certain kind of constancy. And we want to cultivate that in the practice. Psychological uh, stability of mind, stability of heart. Without having the mind stable and calm, it's not really easy to have these kinds of insights. And if we have the insights, they can be disconcerting to have. So we want to kind of stabilize ourselves, stabilize the mind, calm, settle it. The, suffer, the insight into, into suffering, we, want actually, we, don't, we don't want to cultivate more suffering, thank you. What we want to cultivate is well-being and happiness. And so the cultivation of happiness uh, in practice is important. And that cultivation provides, provide, uh, pro- provides the context for the insight into suffering. So it's very different to experience suffering if there's a field of well-being than it is if there's a field of suffering already and you go deeper into the suffering. That's kind of a drag. And then the third, uh, which is the topic for today of, um, of uh, having insight into not-self, uh, we want to cultivate the opposite. And the opposite of not-self, I'd like to just kind of uh, represent by the term self-confidence. And so we want to cultivate a strong sense of self-confidence that allows us to see that aspect of reality we can call the not-self. And so what we cultivate in practice is we're cultivating these qualities of stability, well-being, and confidence. As those become strong, then uh, we begin having insights. These insights come in the wake of that. And, um, and so without cultivating these, these, these strengths, these, these, these capacities, it's hard to have effective... Um, effectiveness in this insight into uh, the three characteristics. It's hard for them to do their work, these insights, and to liberate us. I think of it a little bit like uh, a snake who um, is quite miserable because um, its skin is just not quite right. It's a little bit too much wrinkled, has the spots the wrong place. Um, and uh, in any way, the color is slightly different than its friends, and you know, it, and it's uh, I don't know, it's you know, the skin just quite isn't right. And some of the snake's friends have tattoos, but this one doesn't, and would like to have a tattoo, but it's afraid of the pain, and you know, so that's hard. And so, what to do? And you know, the skin's not quite right, and so the poor snake is miserable, and. Uh, and in the misery, it kind of just wants to stay by itself in its own little apartment. <laughs> and doesn't want to go out anymore and because, you know, people are going to see its skin. And, and, so, the, the, so, then, um, and so because it doesn't go out, it doesn't get food. And it, it, anyway, it's too miserable to want to eat anyway. And, 
And so it kind of like starts to shrink and that skin gets more shriveled and more ugly. It's not a very pretty, pretty sight. Until finally a wise person comes along and wise snake comes along and says, you know, you got to eat. <laughs> eat a lot. Snake should eat. Eat lots of stuff. Just eat and everything will be okay. And so the snake, for some reason, trusts the wise snake. So it starts to eat and eat whatever snakes eat. And uh, it starts to grow and grow and get bigger and bigger and kind of fatter and stronger. And, and then at some point, lo and behold, it sheds its skin, that old bad skin, <laughs> the wrinkle or whatever. And it has this new shiny skin. So as long as it was trying to hide away or get tattoos or get makeup or, you know, or whatever it was trying to do, it, there was no solution really. But it had to grow for the old skin to fall away and the new one to come. So this is kind of the background for these three characteristics. Certain kind of growth, maturity, development of, of these qualities help us to have a very different relationship to many of the things that ail us, the challenges we have, the difficulties we have. If we stay within the domain of the difficulty itself, uh, you try to solve it there, sometimes we're like the snake, you know, trying to deal with its skin by not eating or something. But if sometimes you, you want to develop these strengths, and then we have a very different relationship to uh, what's happening for us. And um, so one of those strengths we want to develop is mindfulness. Uh, as mindfulness gets stronger, the strength of mindfulness helps us to grow, but also creates a different reference point for who we are, for kind of who, what the center of gravity for who we are. Rather than center of gravity being, you know, what, you know whatever our neurosis is, we start to having some. Uh, uh, re- we start to identifying with the strength of attention, strength of awareness, or we start identifying with the strength of stability. We feel quite stable and calm in difficult situations, or we feel uh, happy, some sense of well-being that's portable and we carry with us, and that sense of happiness uh, becomes bigger than the particular individual detailed difficulties we might feel, and some of those difficulties begin to dissolve because they don't need to be solved, because we have this kind of other thing that grows up like the snake. So we want to cultivate these things. So with not-self, we cultivate um, uh, self-confidence, or what in modern psychology is sometimes called a strong sense of self. Buddhism is very hesitant to uh, use the language of self to talk about human beings, uh, because... uh, when we start using the language of self, it's a magnet for all kinds of ideas of who, who you're supposed to be if you're a self. All kinds of you know, things we learn from media, learn from our family, learn from our experience. And so the whole idea of self in Buddhism uh, is an unnecessary concept in our spiritual growth. So isn't that Buddhism is against it, but you, you find Buddhists kind of shy about using it. So the idea that a strong sense of self is not a Buddhist thing to do. But if you scratch under the surface of what a psychologist says about a strong sense of self, they mean you cultivate um, a strong sense of self-monitoring, understand yourself well, a sense of ethics, sense of strong motivation, self-confidence, maybe self-worth, and probably a list of, you know, a lot of other things that you're kind of cultivating and developing. Good sense of patience, uh, ability to um, not be reactive, you can all kinds of things because you've monitored and you develop these inner capacities, qualities. 
That's what you do in psychology when you're developing a strong sense of self, I think. Is that good enough for those of you who are psychologists? I'm not so. I have to ask. And um, so in Buddhism, developing all those qualities are a very important part of the practice. We just don't put it in the nice, neat package called strong sense of self. <laughs> you, so you can if you wish. But uh, so the, those qualities are developed. So confidence is a very important part of practice. So um, uh, when you sit down to meditate, we develop things like the stability and well-being, but also we develop confidence, ability to sit upright and strong and capable and feel like we have the mental capacity or a heartfelt capacity to stay present for our experience, whatever it might be, to have the confidence that we don't give in to our clinging, our cravings, our fears, our judgments, our kind of belief system that might not be so helpful for us. We, we don't give in, we don't get lost in our thoughts, and we learn to have a confidence to stay upright and present for our experience. We learn to monitor ourselves, we know what's going on. We develop a, st- a strong sense of motivation. Um, in Buddhist practice, uh, having a strength of motivation is very important. Um, just as important as letting go of craving. So there's different kinds of motivations. There's motivation of greed, which is not helpful, and there's the motivation to develop ourselves, to develop freedom, to develop uh, compassion and love. So, uh, this, so we develop a strong sense, yes, I'm going to do this. This is important for me. And so we're there and present and engaged. <clears throat> These are all qualities of developing is what I'm calling self-confidence, or the opposite of, of this experience of not-self. As that develops... As all these, we cultivate ourselves with stability and well-being and confidence and these qualities. Then, um, sitting and meditating, or sitting and just being a person in the world, but say reference point is meditating. Then sitting and meditating, uh, things begin to shift, and some of the things that begin to shift is that um, the strong tendency to identify with certain things as being me myself and mine, begins to be seen as not necessary, unnecessary. So, uh, you know, so something, maybe something be a little bit ridiculous. Um, if I drove down here today in my old Subaru Impressa and, uh, and parked in front, and you all saw me driving around this old car that's rusty wheels and you know, and it's not, it hasn't been cleaned for a long time. It's actually cobwebs right now on its sides and the, the mirror. And, and, um, and I came and sat down here, and I, all of you saw the car that I drove. And I started thinking, oh my God, what do these people think of me? They must think I'm a terrible Dharma teacher. My whole kind of, you know, persona as a Dharma teacher now is at stake. And, I better, you know, this is the Silicon Valley, and, you know, I really have to be up to muster on here. I should have a Tesla to be. <laughs> so, so here I'm all concerned and worried about all these, you know, my... And so I sit here, I sit down to meditate, and, and I start feeling stable and sense of well-being being here, and, and something, certain kind of confidence in just being alive and present. And those car thoughts, my identity with me, who, who I am, you are what you drive, right? <laughs> uh, you know, comes, comes in. 
And I can see those thoughts go by and I'm not interested. You know, I see it's ridiculous. I, I don't have to waste... So what a waste of time to be involved in those thoughts. I have better things to do meditating than to, you know, be concerned about the car that I'm driving and how that relates to how people see me or my identity. And so that just kind of... That's part of the skin that just gets shed. And so as we, as we kind of develop this practice, we start seeing a lot of different things that begin to shed are not needed. We don't have to pick them up. We don't have to get involved in those thoughts, those feelings, and all that. And the Buddhist tradition refers to three areas of self where the shedding begins to happen. And that has to do with um, the area of uh, possessiveness, what we take to be mine, the area of conceit, what we take to be who I am, and the area of, Buddhism calls it views, um, beliefs about what the, what the self is. So this is mine, this I am, this is myself, is how it's worded in Buddhism. And so we start seeing that we're, we, uh, we take things as mine. This is mine. So one of the great things to experience uh, uh, happens occasionally on, on, uh, on like meditation retreats or even coming here maybe, is... Um, you're, you know, you're, you've gotten yourself, a, you came here to sit and you chose a chair or a cushion from the shelves and you sat down and you've maybe sat for a while there and it's your place, it's your chair, you know, but you have to get up and go to the bathroom. And you come back and someone's sitting in my chair, <laughs> someone's sitting in my cushion and it's, you get all hot. Mine, you've taken that as being mine. But you didn't realize how much you took it as mine until you went away and, and you, you know, came back and so it was taken. If, um, if no one had taken it and you sat down with it and you put the, you know, the cushion back at the end and the shelves or walked away from the chair, in a week from now you don't even remember which chair was yours. You know, it's like, who cares, you know? But th- you know, you've taken it as being mine. And that's a very powerful thing that people do, human beings do, is they take things, this is mine. I want it for me. And uh, whether it's, uh, and then there's the um, uh, I am, you fill in the blank. I am my car. You know, so I am, you know, my profession. I am kind. I am unworthy. I am, um, you know, unlovable. I am so lovable. <laughs> People better get on with it. <laughs> you know, so, so you, you fill in the blanks and there's so many blanks to fill in, right? There's infinite number. Some of those blanks are filled in by our society for us and that can create a tremendous uh, pain, suffering, there's the discrimination, the prejudice in which people say, you are. And then sometimes that's internalized or we have to deal with, unfortunately, other people's projections and ideas. And sometimes we do it for ourselves. We fill in, I am. Sometimes it's based on experience. And uh, many of us sometimes, our self-concept is behind the times. We're a little bit slow to change, right? And it's not uncommon for people to still think of themselves, I don't know, 10 years younger than they actually are. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't quite get it, you know. I'm 70 years old and people are at the, and the bus are getting up to help me sit down. You know, did you sit down here? You know, but what? I'm not that old. <laughs> and um, 
so I am, you know, so, and that's, a, and, there's a, and then there's the, that's, a, there's a lot of suffering around I am, because I am, a lot of the suffering has to do with comparative thinking. We compare ourselves to who, who I am supposed to be, who other people are, and we don't measure up. We compare ourselves to what we were and what we are now. We compare ourselves to what we expect to be. You know, all this stuff, we compare ourselves. Better, worse, whatever, we, you know. And there's a lot, and the mind gets caught up in that, and it gets contracted, it, the fear builds up. Um, a lot of the reason why people create a sense of self, this fill-in I am, is to feel secure in life, because life can be insecure, it can be frightening, and so we want to have some kind of orientation, stability, that gives us a sense of who we are, that um, we're protected from the difficulties of life. And it's a normal thing to develop a sense of who we are. It's, we're supposed to develop a sense of who we are. But when we get latched onto it, then uh, we can't let, uh, you know, we can't grow and shed the skin. So, you know, it's certain things, certain I am something are appropriate, but we have to know how also to drop it. So, for example, at this very moment, I think it's relatively reasonable to say that I'm the Dharma teacher here. And, um, you know, I'm sitting on the Dharma seat, I'm giving a Dharma talk. Um, if someone came in and said, who's the Dharma teacher? You know, oh, you know, I don't have any identity, I don't, I don't assume anything, you know, and it's just a waste of time, right? I mean, they're just asking who's giving the talk, you know, so I raise my hand. Um, if I go home after this talk to my family and my two boys and say, You're, the Dharma teacher's home. <laughs> <laughs> Don't close the door. Don't close the door, yes. <laughs> you know, sit down, I have something to say, the Dharma teacher is here. <laughs> so when I get, when I get home, the, hopefully before that, um, the Dharma teacher disappears. You know, I shed that. And I maybe pick it up next Sunday morning. You know, but that, you know, so I don't, I don't hold on to it tight, this is who I am. But people, we hold on to these I am very tight. And interestingly enough, in Buddhism, uh, even the even the intuitive sense of emness, I am, is itself can a form of it can be a form of attachment. So you don't have to even fill in the blank. I am so you know, it just even a uh, sense of I amness is too much. So um, so these things begin to shed, and we start seeing with insight into this is not who I really am. I'm not really my car. I'm not really my profession. I'm not really someone who has the, you know, I have thoughts that I'm unworthy. I have thoughts that I'm really worthy. Um, but those are just thoughts. It's not really who I am. And slowly, especially, this is why meditation is such a useful place for it, or maybe some people find it like spending a long time in nature, similar thing happens, that we begin having a sense of shedding all these identities, all these ideas of me, myself, and mine that aren't really needed. And we have an experience of being alive without them. And that sense of aliveness is meaningful, uh, feels good, feels wonderful. And it doesn't, you don't need to attribute or add on top of it any idea of me, myself, and mine. You don't have to put on top of an idea of self. You can have a self, but you don't have to be involved in thinking that. And so as that gets stronger, that's the insight into not-self that yes, my car is not myself. Your face is not yourself. 
Your hair is not yourself. Your opinions are not yourself. Your bank account is not yourself. Your, you know, your emotional qualities are not yourself. And here's a really fascinating one. If you can get this, you'll be so much happier. Um, your neurosis is not yourself. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Isn't that good news? <laughs> Maybe not, if you, really, if you really love your neurosis. Some people like it so much, and they're so you know, familiar with it. And, you know, and who would they be without it? <laughs> but anyway, so neurosis is not yourself. So to see all these things is the insight into not-self. Um, and if you can, and it can be, sometimes as you go really deep into it, in, especially in, like on retreat, we begin seeing that anything that we're aware of actually doesn't have to be taken up as self. Any thought, any sensation, any experience at all. And for some people, there's a period of, of being um, kind of disoriented, sometimes fright, frightened, because you know, if there's no self to kind of orient yourself to be, you know, you're not safe. And so people are like, what's what now? Where do I stand? What happens? And so it can be kind of confusing. But that's why having this background of stability, well-being, and confidence is so important. It c- carries momentum going. It's okay just to be without any attribution, any building up, any assigning of self to anything at all. So we don't, that's not self, that's not self. The third f- kind of area of not self or self in Buddhism is the idea of views, doctrine, uh, uh, doctrine uh, of self. This is the self. And, um, and some of these, uh, peop- some religions have great philosophies of what the self is. And you put a capital S when you talk about it. Uh, and very closely akin to the idea of a soul it's in the Western discussion that there is an essence, there's a true self, there's a core little sesame seed self somehow inside, there's a big self that we identify with a cosmos. Or, um, there's all these kinds of ideas of self. And, uh, and some people, that's where their strongest attachment is, is around ideas of this is the self. Uh, what Buddhism suggests, I think, is that um, Buddh- Buddhism never comes along and offers a theory of this is the self doesn't have a philosophy, this is the self, you know, this is the whatever, the, you know. Um, it just says that if you want to be free, if you want to discover the peace and well-being that the Buddhist practice is involved in, you can discover that without having any philosophy of self, without uh, attaching uh, self to anything at all. So it kind of is it's metaphysically or philosophically simpler because you don't have to kind of figure out or understand this idea of what a true self might be. So this insight becomes stronger and stronger, and what happens when you see clearly see that is we begin to let go of things we're holding on to as self. I see how much my self is tied to my car, and I go out and buy another car. Uh, that's one solution, right? Or, but that leaves me, even if I show up with a Tesla, and now you all think I'm great. Boy, he's like a primo dharma teacher. That's what it takes, you know. So um, I actually suspect the opposite <laughs> around, around here. But anyway, you go along with the little thought experiment. So, uh, but then I started worrying about: is it clean enough? To, oh, there's a scratch now, and you know, you know. Or after a while, it gets old. 
you know, and so then myself is gets, you know, difficult. Oh, better get a new car. And um, uh, the the other other possibility is to just let go of that clinging, to let go of that tendency to see myself as, as reflected in the car that I drive. So we be, so we let go, and hopefully that's a simple enough, ridiculous enough example that you can appreciate that yes, it makes sense just to let go of that attachment to the car as myself. And so that we start letting go, and that's where liberation is found, in the letting go of the clinging to ideas, things as me, myself, and mine. So we let go, and we let go. And that letting go can be deeper and fuller and bigger, more thorough, uh, the more thorough we see things as not-self. We see the thoroughness of not-selfness in our reality. And that's why this... And Buddhism says that everything that we can experience, uh, everything that has the quality, has the characteristic of not-self. And because of that, then it doesn't make sense to hold on to anything whatsoever as being the self. And because people are holding to have a deep, thorough experience, really direct insight, seeing for yourself, yes, it doesn't make any sense. None of this stuff that's in my experience is the self. makes sense to take to self then slowly the grip that we have, for for human beings, it's a very deep grip around self. It's such a deep biological, kind of, almost biological maybe, psychological thing that we have to hold on to self, to be a self. And uh, so we begin to release it. And sometimes that release can happen slowly, gradually, over a long time. Sometimes it can happen very quickly and very big. So I've talked about the preparation and the insight. The third kind of context for all this is what's called the door of liberation. Each of the three characteristics has a door to liber- a door that kind of that we, it's kind of metaphorical door that we walk through. And so the door of liberation that we walk through with uh, not self, when we really see not self, is called the door of emptiness. Emptiness. And this is uh, uh, a deep insight into the absence, the spaciousness, the, the, the vastness uh, of, I don't even know of what. The universe. Thank you, the universe. That uh, exists when uh, we don't attribute self to anything. Certainly it's the emptiness of self. Oh, all this stuff has no self in it. But as we let go and let go and let go, there's this feeling that everything is kind of like, it's everything is empty, it's dreamlike. That emptiness sometimes can actually be a literal emptiness. There's actually nothing in our experience whatsoever because the letting go is so full and deep. And rather than being a kind of a death, it's kind of an experience of grace, of the utmost kind. Or it can be a very radical, thoroughgoing sense of, some people call it a dreamlike quality. Of, of reality because reality no longer has any um, we don't attribute any solidity to it and one of the primary solidities that's given to reality comes with this idea of self you know I'm solid I'm here somehow and um, and so the idea that so we that we stepped into this space of emptiness so it's not just a matter of letting go but it's also having a sense of the space we step into when, we've let, when we have let go. Some people are more oriented towards what 
the, the letting go of suffering, letting go of the clinging, and that's fine. And some people are more oriented towards uh, the good that comes when we have let go, whatever that good is. So uh, we step into the emptiness. Buddhism likes the word emptiness, steps into the emptiness. Someone else might say step into the light, step into freedom. So, but a deep experience of not-self, as I said, opens to this experience of emptiness. You'll have some sense of emptiness from it, understanding of it. And then there's a door, there's a gift. Uh, each of these uh, has a gift. So there's a preparation, there's the insight, there's a door of liberation, and then there's a gift from each of these. And to uh, follow this path of not-self, insight into not-self, opens to uh, the gift of compassion and love. Why that is, I can only speculate, but this is a time-honored teaching in in Buddhism that uh, somehow that emptiness, the experience of emptiness uh, is almost synonymous with the experience of compassion or compassion's in that experience. And uh, certainly that's my experience that, uh, and kind of my speculation is that when uh, we when we have this kind of when there's no clinging and we see kind of the emptiness of all things, then there's a the the, the full functioning of our empathy. There's no barriers, no clinging. There's no resistance, no defensiveness. There's a kind of an openness to it, and there's also no fear, because uh, there's nothing in when in the, when the letting go has been thorough, that which could be afraid has been let go of as well. And so we let go so fully and completely that there's nothing here that can be threatened by being completely open. And so the empathy can just flow and be there. And so there seems to be a quality of compassion or love in that, independent of even being with some person. Just, there's just love, no, even, and I, I, without even an object of it. And to have that experience of compassion and love is the great gift of this, because then we come back to the world, hopefully, motivated by that, offering that to the world, to others, um, uh, our care for the world, our care for others, our love for it. And it cleanses our love, it cleanses compassion to go through this, because many times love and compassion uh, that people have, which is beautiful, um, is kind of a little bit twisted by some of our beliefs, our attachments, our fears, our what we identify as self, our ideas of who other people are. The idea of emptiness, letting go, is that we also have this ability to be with others, see them, but not see them through the vantage point or the filter of ideas and judgments and stereotypes and projections. Um, This is the first insight, the the, the door of the signless, Not not to attribute anything to people, and therefore, when we meet them in a compa- compassionate way or loving way, we kind of have to see them more fully because we're not limiting them by our ideas and we're not limited as well. So, the teachings on not-self are considered very important in Buddhism, but it's a, it's a teaching pointing to insight. It's a, it's a seeing that comes. So you don't have to believe it whatsoever. You don't go home now and say, no, you, you should, you, let me tell you how things really are. Things are really are, there's, you know, there's no self. 
Actually, there's n- actually we, in Buddhism we don't say there's no self. We're not supposed to, at least. But rather, there's the insight. There's the insight that's possible. That uh, the insight into this is not self. This is not self. Not this, not this. And as that insight becomes mature, there's more and more freedom that's found. We prepare, we prepare, ideally we would prepare ourselves for that insight and develop into people who have a lot of confidence, a lot of strength of character. And that strength of character, character helps us then to let go of attachment to self. And that strength of character also then becomes the, the vehicle for our compassion and care for the world. Thank you all very much, and uh, please cultivate yourself. It's very important to take care of yourself this way.